Hello and welcome to Crime Theories of the Record, the podcast series where I talk about my interpretation of crime theories. This is your host, Karen. Hello everyone, in today's episode I'll be introducing you to the concentric zone model in Sean McKay's social disorganization theory. But before I jump into this, I would like to remind everyone that I have done some research on the topic, but don't consider myself an expert in every aspect of my field. I do, however, love talking about concentric zones since this topic started my interest into studying gentrification during my undergrad career. Now, back to discussing the concentric zone model. The concentric zone model is not rooted in criminology, but urban sociology. This concentric zone model is based on human ecology, a field that Burgess and his collaborator Park devised to describe the interactions of people from different social groups within an ecosystem. Of the record, this early theoretical model was created by Canadian-American sociologist Ernest Burgess, who eventually became a faculty member at the Chicago School where he was hired as an urban sociologist, hence the name. Burgess, like American sociologist Robert Park, believed that urban development is patterned socially. He contended that cities, quote-unquote, grow radially in a series of concentric zones or rings. The concentric zone model, commonly referred to as the Burgess model and or Chicago concentric zone model, explains urban social structures in terms of socioeconomic clusters grouped in concentric circles around the city center. Off the record, it is important to note that this model was applied to Chicago, which can be considered a limitation in itself from a researcher's point of view. So now, try to visualize this with me. Burgess, 1967-1925, delineated five zones. Burgess's circular zones consist of a city center, a transitional area where immigrants and the poor live, a working-class area with single-family tenements, a middle-class family residential area, and finally, the commuter zone. Those from each of these residential zones commute to the city center. According to Burgess's zonal hypothesis, crime occurs most frequently in the transitional zone and least frequently in the commuter zone. Competition determined how people were distributed spatially among these zones. Thus, commercial enterprises were situated in the quote-unquote loop or the central business district. This location afforded access to valuable transportation resources such as railroads and waterways. By contrast, most high-priced residential areas were in the outer zones, away from the hectic bustle of the downtown area away from the pollution of factories, and away from the poor residences. But the zoning transition was a particular cause for concern and study. This zone contained rows of deteriorating tenements, often built in the shadow of aging factories. The push outward of the business district led to the constant displacement of residents. As the least desirable living area, the zone had to weather the influx of waves of immigrants and other migrants who were too poor to reside elsewhere. Burgess and the other Chicago sociologists believed that this disorganization was the source of a range of social pathologies, including crime. Nowadays, the argument can be made that the concentric model cannot be applied to cities outside of the United States and that the model suffers when gentrification occurs. Off the record, gentrification is a process where the character of a poor urban area is changed by wealthier people moving in. This leads to many housing, economic, and health issues as neighborhood characteristics tend to change when you add stores and resources to previously run-down areas. Others make the argument that gentrification is good for property value as it transforms neighborhoods from low value to high value. Whatever your take might be, gentrification tends to displace long-time or original neighborhood residents because of higher rates or property taxes.
So, you might be wondering, how does this play a role in criminology? Well, Watson to my Sherlock, Clifford Shaw and Henry McKay used the idea of human ecology to study the association between urban ecological characteristics and juvenile delinquency. But let's not get ahead of ourselves as social disorganization theory is technically considered an urban sociological theory that bleeds into criminology thanks to the theory linking crime rates to neighborhood ecological characteristics, which is a core principle of social disorganization theory. Off the record, I love this theory because it homes the idea that location matters. In other words, this theory says that a person's residential location is a substantial factor that shapes the likelihood of that person committing a crime. Anyways, Sean McKay. So, Shaw and McKay were not faculty members at the University of Chicago. Rather, they were employed as researchers for a state-supported child guidance clinic. Even so, they enjoyed close relationships with the sociology department. They had been students there, but did not finish their doctorates and were influenced profoundly by theorizing. Off the record, sometimes academia is just not for everyone, and that's okay. So, Shaw and McKay were persuaded that a model of the city formulated by Ernest Burgess and Park's colleague and collaborators provided a framework for understanding the social roots of crime. Indeed, it was Burgess's model that led them to the conclusion that neighborhood organization was instrumental in preventing or permitting delinquent careers. But before I continue, let's just define social disorganization as the inability of those in a neighborhood and or community to recognize common goals or values and be able to resolve continuing problems that occur. According to social disorganization theory, through the lens of criminology, a neighborhood that has high amounts of poverty, racial and ethnic heterogeneity, and resident mobility has less organization, that is, informal social control, and thus has a greater chance of crime and or delinquency happening. Off the record, the theory was not intended to be applied to all types of crime, just crime at the neighborhood level, or street crime like some people call it. Sean McKay's 1942 theory focused mainly on juveniles in urban neighborhoods and wanted to identify how youths in certain types of neighborhoods were delinquent. In order to do this, Shaw and McKay used juvenile court statistics to map the spatial distribution of delinquency throughout Chicago. Their data analysis confirmed the hypothesis that delinquency flourished in the zone in the transition and was inversely related to the zone's affluence and corresponding distance from the central business district. By studying several decades of Chicago's court records, they also were able to show that crime was highest in slum neighborhoods regardless of which racial or ethnic group resided there. They were able to show that as groups moved to other zones, their crime rates equivalently decreased. This observation led to the inescapable conclusion that it was the nature of the neighborhood, not the nature of the individuals within that neighborhood, that regulated involvement in crime. Off the record, this view of delinquency causation likely resonated with the personal experiences of Shaw and McKay as they were both born and brought up in rural Midwestern areas in the United States, which can be considered homogeneous. So it makes sense that this quote-unquote disorganization could be seen as a cause of delinquency. Moreover, Shaw and McKay's focus on how weakening controls make possible a delinquent career allowed them to anticipate a criminological school that eventually could become known as control or social bond theory. But that's a story for another day. 
To one surprise, Sean McKay's also attempted to learn more about why youths become deviant by interviewing delinquents and compiling their autobiographies in a format called Life Histories. These efforts led to a variety of publications which contain important observations. These observations were later referred to as, quote-unquote, the transmissions of criminal values. Of the record, this idea posits that all behavior is learned from society or the culture surrounding that person. Ultimately, they observed that these disorganized neighborhoods could create or support crime or delinquency that could compete with informal social controls and that these criminal ways or delinquent acts could be passed down from generation to generation, the same way language and other social norms are passed down. The theory is now decades old, but Pratt and Collins' meta-analysis noted a difficulty in assessing this theory lies in actually studying social disorganization directly. But support is still seen in the field of criminology regarding this theory when looking at structural factors. Off the record, it is important to note that youths with the misfortune of residing in the social disorganized zone in transition were especially vulnerable to the temptations of crime. Especially if you consider the fact that they were given little to no active supervision and were free to roam the streets, where they could likely become the next generations of criminals. Anyways, this isn't the last time you will hear about Sean McKay, but it might take a couple of episodes before they make a comeback. I know, I know, I covered a lot today, but I can't emphasize enough how fascinated I am by the Chicago School of Thought, as it does have a special place in my heart. But if you want to continue learning about the Chicago School of Thought, Tune in to next week's episode, where I will introduce to you to Sutherland's theory of differential association. Off the record, this podcast series is brought to you by Anchor. Thank you for listening and choosing this podcast. If you're loving what you're learning, follow us on Instagram at ct.offtherecord. That is at ct.offtherecord, where you can visualize some of these theories and get some scoops on upcoming episodes. Come join us and please rate, review, and subscribe on Spotify or whatever platform you're listening from. And don't forget to join me for next week's episode episode.